Good morning. Today's reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. Listen to God's word. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ, and we were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jerry. Well, friends, I wonder, as we approach this new year and we evaluate our our lives and where we've been, I want to ask you just a simple question. Have you ever felt stuck? Have you ever felt stuck in your life? My wife, Melissa, and I, when we were first dating, we actually uh, met at a wedding, and she was living here in Virginia, uh, down in Richmond. I was, of course, living in Corpus Christi as a pastor down there at the time. And uh, she decided to fly down to Texas and uh, and visit me and, and see if this long-distance relationship was really going to move you know, far along. And this was the first time I'd seen her really since we first met. We talked on the phone a lot. But here are a couple of important things you need to know. I lived by the beach, and Melissa loved the beach. And this is why it's important, because this trip was her very first time to Texas, and everything had to go perfectly because I was wooing her, right? <laughs> I made a commitment to myself that everything was all about impressing uh, my future wife in that moment. So here's what I did. I picked her up from the airport and I laid on my Texas accent pretty thick. Oh, man, it was sweet. I was wearing pearl snaps and jeans. And I told her, I said, I started calling her Maylissa. In fact, it's kind of a joke now, but she's in my phone as Maylissa Montgomery. And, uh, and it's kind of become an endearing thing because now I call her May. Like, that's my nickname for her, and she loves it, and I love it, and a whole lot better than Melissa anyway, but, uh, just kidding. But I call her May, and, um, and it, it reminds us that I, that that weekend I tried too hard. So it was, it was, that's helpful too. And what was great is I, I was living in Corpus Christi, but it was cheaper to fly into San Antonio, and I bought her plane tickets, so that's where she flew into, and so, so I had to drive two and a half hours up, but what was great is I got to take her to the Alamo. And here's the thing. I don't know if I've told you before. I grew up in Texas. That is like what we learn in school. And so I shared all of my deep Texas history knowledge. And she was from Virginia in the Civil War. Uh, apparently only Texans care about Texas history. So she didn't know anything about it. And I sounded really smart. In fact, I kid you not, at one point on the trip, I had my Greek Bible from college, my Greek New Testament. I couldn't remember all the vocabulary, but I remembered how to speak Greek. And so I started reading to her from passages that I knew. Oh, it was fantastic. It was great. But I had a secret weapon. I don't have it anymore, but, but I needed it then. It was a four-door V8 2005 Toyota Tundra with the TRD off-road package, the dual exhaust, the big old tires, and the window in the back that rolled down. It's like driving a convertible, but you're in a pickup truck, man. Let me tell you, I sound really redneck right now, and I promise I'm not. But uh, or maybe a little, I guess. So 
here's here's the good news. In Texas, you can drive on the beach. So I had my secret weapon, the truck, and we could just drive on the beach because who needs to sit in the sand? I hate it. It gets all over you. And so we were driving everywhere and and uh, we were looking for a parking spot. Uh, apparently a lot of other people do this. And we were uh, driving on the beach and I saw this empty spot that nobody was avoiding. It was just loose sand. And so I drove my truck under the loose sand and parked it like an idiot. And... Um, and here's what I've learned. It doesn't matter how thick your accent is or how much you know about Texas history or how much uh, or if you can read Greek or not or if you have an awesome truck. If you don't have four-wheel drive and you're stuck in loose sand, you're stuck. And here's another thing I learned. <laughs> uh, the more you try to spin your wheels to get out, actually, it's amazing, the deeper you go. And so what was once something you could just push out became something that people had to dig me out. It was fantastic. Have you ever felt stuck? Have you ever felt like life was going along just the way you thought it would and then one day you look around and you realize it wasn't, it didn't end up the way you thought it might and you feel stuck? Maybe in your spiritual life, when you first found Christ, everything went well. You thought, Lord, send me wherever you want to, and I'm going to follow wherever you, wherever you want me to go. And now you look at your faith and you feel like it's gone dry. Maybe it's your job and it was that perfect job that you always wanted, you strove for your entire life, and you've been in it for a while now. And now you go to work and you've got this weird taste in your mouth because it just doesn't feel the same anymore. You've lost your passion. You've lost your drive. Do you ever feel stuck? Maybe with your family, you come home and you don't really know how to relate to anybody in your family anymore. You're not sure what to say. You're not sure how to be. You're so overwhelmed. All you can think about is all the things that you have to do. And and maybe with your spouse, you've forgotten how to connect. More than that, you've forgotten how to feel with your spouse. Do you ever feel stuck? Maybe you've lost your direction. You've lost your purpose you feel distracted and you look back and you realize you haven't felt true joy in a very long time. Do you ever feel stuck? Well, here's the thing. My hope and prayer for you is that if you feel stuck, because I think many of us, if not all of us, have or do at some point in time in our life, that you're not like me and you just put more gas on the truck trying to get out of an already stuck situation only to spin your wheels and, and get deeper uh, stuck down deeper. So here's here's what I've recognized about that is, I think for most of us, that's exactly what we do. We think the only way to get unstuck, right, is to just hit the gas and go faster because that's what worked in the past. And if we can just keep moving along, it's going to eventually get better and we'll just will ourselves out of this thing. But the reality is, is we just keep spinning our wheels and going down deeper and deeper. And the problem with getting stuck in life is this. It can cause the circumstances in our life to become so loud, to become so distracting, that this thing called anxiety starts to bubble up in us. Have you ever heard of anxiety? Y'all probably never heard of it, right? You're not, never experienced, never been anxious in your life. Amen, right? Y'all, you know, no, it's just me. The thing about anxiety is it causes us to be utterly self-focused because here's this thing, all the circumstances, all the things in our life when we're anxious, we can't see past where we are. 
it becomes blurry, it becomes blinding, and, and our anxiety gets high. And here's the, the irony of a life that is self-focused, is that it's very, hard, it's very easy for us to lose our true focus in life. I'm going to say that again. The irony of a life that is self-focused is that it becomes very easy for us to lose our true focus in life. You see, the circumstances and the distractions in our life can be so overpowering that we feel stuck, we can lose ourselves, and we become one of two things, right? We have, there's kind of two outcomes from that. We either become numb, and we start to ignore everyone and everything around us, and we just check out whenever we can. Or, we just keep moving from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, thinking that the brand new thing will fix all the stuff that we have going on in our life, and we just keep hitting the gas and hoping for the best, and no matter where we might find ourselves, we're still stuck. Now, in our scripture today, in Ephesians chapter 4, in our passage, uh, Paul talks about how to recognize when we're stuck how to call it for what it is, and how to get unstuck. And so if you have your Bibles with you, or if it's on your phone, I want to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, because we're going to be spending a whole lot of time in that scripture today. And so as you turn there to Ephesians 4, and we're going to start in verse 20, I just want to give you a little bit of background. So Paul is talking to the Ephesians. This is the church in Ephesus. Paul started this church. And when he was there, when he was with them, things were hunky-dory. And then Paul left and things started to not be so great. A couple things happened. Really, one of the things that he recognized, now this wasn't true for the entire church, but for some of them, I mean, he wrote a letter of encouragement saying they were doing some good things, but he recognized some things that were going poorly. And so he recognized that for them, their circumstances in life, the, the life around them had started to, to take away, to impact their relationship with God and others. In fact, he refers to that as, as them beginning to have hardened hearts. And so he started to say warnings against it. He said that some of you aren't being consistent. Whenever you there's a brand new teacher that comes in and, and they don't have sound doctrine or mind, if it's appealing to you, what he's saying is, if you hear something that isn't exactly what you should listen to, if it's appealing to you, you go follow it. And so what happens is you're not consistent anymore. And so when life hits you, you sway in the wind like waves in the ocean. He's saying, stop doing that. You recognize that some were indulging in impurity and becoming full of greed. They had become so self-focused, they had lost their true focus in life. And so this is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life that you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus... You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. You can see 23 and 24 on the screen. And then he goes on to say, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Now, if you've got a pen, I'm just going to invite you can write in your Bible. It's an amazing freeing thing. You can underline attitude of your minds. Can you imagine what it would be like to think differently? Maybe you have people in your life or things in your life and you just think negative about yourself or you think negative about other people. Could you imagine what it would be like to be renewed by the attitude of your mind? How freeing would that be? Would you read 24 with me? And to put on the new self 
created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I learned three things the day that I got stuck trying to impress my future wife. I learned that I had to stop hitting the gas. I had to turn off the truck because it was just too tempting. I had to realize that I was stuck. I had to realize the mess that I was in. In fact, at one point, I remember I had to turn over, even though she already knew it, I said, hey, darling, we're stuck. Oh, yeah, okay. I also had to realize that I couldn't just sit there and dwell in it. It wasn't going to help anybody or anything. I had to get out of the truck and I had to take a step forward. Now, luckily in Texas, you don't have to take too many steps toward help. People are like, there was this large group of people that were willing to now push me and dig my tires out uh, of the sand. But I didn't have it all figured out. I didn't know what my plan was. I just knew that I couldn't stay where I was. And so I took a step forward in faith. And the third thing I realized is that Melissa, this wonderful woman that I was trying to impress, she didn't care about my Texas accent. She didn't care about my Texas history knowledge. She didn't care that I could read a Greek Bible. And she didn't care about my four by four, I mean, about my truck because it didn't have four wheel drive, right? Couldn't help us at the moment. Would have been really nice. Need to get one of those. What we talk about it now, what she really cared about and what she, she said, you know, Mark, honestly, I was just trying to see if you had a heart for me or not. That's why I was there. When we're stuck, it's really easy to think that we need to put on our old self and to, and to keep doing the things that we always did before Jesus Christ changed our lives. But you know what? It's not helpful. Would you agree? It is not helpful to put on our old self. We need to be renewed by the attitude of our minds and put on our new self to be created, to live the way that God made us. That's what it means to be unstuck. It doesn't mean that the circumstances in our life go away, but our focus shifts and changes. And so there are three steps that we can take, I believe, to get unstuck. You're going to like this. Three steps to unstuck. And so, sometimes I feel like I'm selling something. I'm sorry for that. But you know, three steps to unstuck. And the first one is this. Call it for what it is. If you feel stuck, name out loud the mess that I'm in. Right? And we, who do we name that to? Well, first we have to tell ourselves. We have to be self-aware and recognize, you know what, the things that I'm doing... They're not really helpful right now. I need to name it. I need to tell God. And if I have people that I trust in my life, I need to tell them too. Second thing, I need to take a step forward even if I don't have it all figured out. And the third thing is I need to realize what really matters to my heart. What is my true focus in life? So first, we have to call it for what it is, right? We, meet, we must recognize the mess, right? We have to confess it if we're going to get out of it. And so this is what Paul says in Ephesians 25 through 31. And I'm going to skip around a little bit and, and summarize some of these, but uh, here's what he says. He says to the Ephesians, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for, for we are all members of one body. He's saying... Sometimes you're not the one who's going to recognize the mess you're in. And so it's our responsibility as the church, as a body of believers, to help each other out and, and to recognize that for others sometimes. In your anger, do not sin. 
And then he goes on, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Now, I feel like that's as plain as day. What Paul is saying is whatever you're doing that's keeping you stuck, stop it. Right? If you're doing behavior that's not helpful, stop it. I want you all to tell. If you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, what should you do? Right. Paul is saying if you're stealing, steal no longer. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander. Can I just tell you, I am very thankful as a pastor at Ebenezer United Methodist Church that I don't have to write letters saying, hey guys, quit brawling in the uh, church parking lot. So thank you for that. He had to tell that to the Ephesians, apparently. And then he says, uh, get rid of all of it along with every form of malice. He's saying, stop doing the things that are messing up your relationship with God and each other. Stop it. Stop it. In other words, don't let life circumstances force you to become so self-focused that you lose your true focus in life. In the book, Deep Down Dark by Hector Tobar, he tells the story of 33 Chilean miners who were stuck underground, 2,000 feet underground for 69 days. Y'all remember that event, right? And so there was a book written about it. They didn't have a lot of supplies. They didn't have a lot of uh, food, water. Uh, it was completely dark where they were. And they just had their headlamps. And they didn't know if they were going to get out or if this was going to be the grave that they were buried in. And so along the way, somebody asked one of the miners, Jose Henriquez. He was a Christian. He said, Jose, would you pray for us? So Jose, he got down on both knees and some other men joined him and they got down on their knees as well. And and he just began to talk to God. And this is some of his prayer. He said, we aren't the best men, Lord, but have pity on us. And then he gets really specific. He says, Victor Segovia knows that he drinks too much. <laughs> well, you got to get real, right? Victor Zamora, he's way too quick to anger. Pedro Cortez thinks about the poor father that he's been to his young daughter. Now, here's the thing. Nobody was objecting. They were all, "Mm mm-hmm, yep, that's me. That's me. Thank you for praying that. Please don't pray that for me. Okay. Uh, Something special happened in the deep down dark, 2,000 feet below ground with those 33 men. They began to meet every day for a meager meal, for a sermon, and then they would pray together. And they would start to pray things like this. God, forgive me for the violence of my voice before my wife and my son. Or God, forgive me for abusing the temple of my body with drugs. And so they confessed to each other. These men got real with God and they got real with each other. And then they started apologizing or confessing to each other. They would say, hey, I'm sorry that I raised my voice to you or I'm sorry I didn't help bring the water in or help with the water. Now, here's the thing. They were down there and all of this amazing stuff was happening and on the surface, the rescue efforts were in full force. I mean, I was glued to the TV watching to see if these guys would make it and and all of a sudden, they were able at one point, kind of halfway through, I think, or at some point further along, uh, to, to drill kind of a small hole enough to get food, supplies, water, a little bit of daylight, a whole lot of hope, and iPads, right? Down to the, why they needed iPads, I don't know. But it helped them connect with the world around them. But they were able to get all that stuff. And here's, what, here's what's fascinating to me. According to the book, when that happened, the prayers stopped completely. They stopped praying together the way that they had been. In fact, 
as they were rescued, the men went about uh, their lives, allowing the circumstances around them to capture their attention once again. When we become self-focused, we lose our true focus in life. What's true is that reflection and confession aren't enough, right? It's just not enough to talk about it. We talk, talk, talk all day long. It's not enough. To... We have to take a step forward. We have to be willing to take a step of faith and to be actually willing to throw off our old self and put on the new. We can't just reflect. We have to take a step forward. So going further in chapter 4, this is what Paul says you can do. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another in 432, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, take the first step in faith. You don't have to see the whole staircase. Just take the first step. In other words, when we take a step of of kindness, of compassion, of forgiveness, you know what happens to us when we start doing those things? We start becoming those things. We start to become kind. We start to become compassionate. We start to become forgiving. We don't have to have it all figured out. We just need to take a step forward. You know what happens to me every time I want to do something different in my life? My wife makes fun of me all the time for it. You know what I do? I... Uh, I'll, I'll research the heck out of it. I want to make a change. I'm going to research the heck. I'm going to do it the exact best way that you're supposed to do it. I'm going to get charts. No kidding. I get an Excel spreadsheet out. For some reason, I can't do this at work, but I can do this with my life. And then what I'll do is uh, I, I will write down lists and projects and all these things. And I will have these goals and values and vision and mission and all this wonderful stuff that I can't ever remember I forget really quickly, and it gets super overwhelming. I just can't do it, right? Because here's what happens. I get so focused on the preparation, I lose focus on what I'm doing. The truth is, if I want to change, God's already given me the plan. Love God, love people. Taking a step of faith in my life that requires focusing on God and the people around me, is going to help me to start to see beyond my current circumstances and what's surrounding me. It will begin the process of taking my focus off of myself and putting it back on my true focus of life. So if I want to put off my old self and put on my new, I don't have to see the whole staircase. I just have to take a step forward. And that third step, I think the most important step, is to realize what really matters. What should the true focus of our life be? It doesn't matter what plan we have or what we're doing or how we're doing. If we don't know our white hot why, what matters most to us or what should matter most to us, it's going to be impossible to get unstuck. Paul goes on in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, and he says this, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, And walk in the way of love. Will you read this with me? Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Follow God's example. You know, once our our true focus is living lives of sacrifice that follows God's example and reflects the love of Jesus Christ out into the world. 
To truly live with our true focus in mind is to have hearts that are focused, is to recognize that our will isn't the best will. That to realize that the best thing that we can do is to live sacrificially and to follow God where he calls, where he leads, to follow God's example in this world, to live sacrificially through Jesus Christ. The greatest way to live life with focus and purpose, to truly live a life that is unstuck, here's what we have to do. We have to give our lives over to God. And that ain't easy. How we do that is more than just a sermon. But here's what you need to know about it. Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. He says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. We all have a purpose, and we're never going to recognize it if we're only focused on ourselves. So there's this tradition in the United Methodist Church, maybe not this United Methodist Church, but uh, a lot of United Methodist churches around the world, there's this tradition that goes back all the way to 1775, and there's this, it's a tradition of having this service of renewal. And it's called the Wesleyan Renewal Covenant Service. And so one of the things that I find very helpful out of that is there's this prayer that was, uh, that John Wesley, the founder of the United Methodist Church, of the Methodist Church, uh, started was to have this uh, Wesleyan Renewal Covenant prayer. And and I just want to invite us this morning, given our topic, and given that tomorrow is a brand new year with brand new possibilities and opportunities, that as you feel led, you might pray this prayer with me and give your life over to God and dedicate your life or renew your dedication to God that we might live differently and put off our old self and put on our new. And so you can see the words on the screen. And as you feel led, I'd invite you to pray it with me. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. I don't know what precise purpose God is preparing for you in your life. But here's what I know. Life is too short to live it stuck. Reflect and confess on the things in our life that are keeping us stuck. They're keeping us from being who we're called to be. We don't have to have it all figured out, but you know what we need to do? We can't dwell in it. We have to take a step forward in faith, believing and trusting that where God leads us is exactly where we're called to be. And the way to figure that out is to follow God's sacrificial example out into this world through Jesus Christ. That as we do that, we would live differently. We would give our lives over to God. Give our will over to God. That we might trust Him and follow Him more freely. Who knows? Maybe 2018 for us as a people and as the church and as individuals and families 
might just be the year that we put off our old self and we put on our new self. That we are changed. That we are made new in the attitude of our minds as we put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Wouldn't that be something?